What country has more camels than any other in the world? And are male and female brains the same? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp. It's a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity. We got some interesting questions here today. Well, Marcia, what country has more camels than any other in the world? Well, I'll, I'll give you choices. Oh, good. Egypt, yeah. Mongolia, yeah. Australia, yeah. or Saudi Arabia. Okay, I will say, well, it seems like Saudi Arabia would, but that's probably wrong because it's obvious, right? You're overthinking it, Marsha. Saudi Arabia, Bob. You're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, it's Australia. What? Now, if you're thinking, geez, I didn't know camels were indigenous to Australia. No. You're right. They're not. Yet today, Australia has the largest population of camels in the world. And not only the largest population of camels, the largest population of wild camels, too. When did they first get them? Well, in the mid-1800s. It's really recent. And they were originally intended to be used as transportation because there's big, big swaths of open desert in Australia. Yeah. However, since then, technological advances have changed that plan, and many of the camels either escaped or were just released into the wild. So, feral camels, F-E-R-A-L, roamed the undeveloped, uninhabited Australian desert for more than a century, and they had calves of their own. I had no idea. I didn't either. Would they come by boat? They brought them over by ship, yeah. How else would they, I guess? By 2013, approximately 300,000 camels lived on the Australian continent, and 10 years later, that number is estimated to be closer to a million. A wow. million camels in Australia. I, I never, ever would have thought of that. They, they multiply like rabbits, apparently. Uh, who knew? <laughs> so Australia, the land down under, not the African desert, has more camels than any country in the world. Okay. Okay, Bob, your brain, my brain, are they the same? Well, they're different because they're in different people. <laughs> so the answer is different. <laughs> Next question. Okay, well said. <laughs> well thought out, Bob. Well, women usually have smaller brains. Oh, I didn't know that. Even after adjusting for our size difference. But human brain size does not correlate to intelligence, because guess who had a small brain? Albert Einstein, that's who. (laughs) Okay, okay, take it easy. (laughs) I'm sorry. So Uh, just because men have bigger brains doesn't mean they're better thinkers. Absolutely not. The volume of certain (laughs) regions in the brain also differs. Hmm. For example, women have more volume in the prefrontal cortex, and men have more volume in the occipital region. Oh, my goodness, where's that? I was hoping you knew. But it's not in the prefrontal. (laughs) Yes, we win with the prefrontal (laughs) cortex. All right. The differences between male and female brains may help explain why men and women are not equally vulnerable to some mental illnesses. Oh, I didn't know that. Women are more likely to be diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Okay. Pretty much because they're married to men. But Wait a minute. Hello. (laughs) Was that a fact or editorial? That was an editorial. Okay. And men suffer from more... More substance abuse than women do. Because of the women they're married to. 
Okay, <laughs> yeah. I get it. No. I asked for that one. Move on, Bob. Move on. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So the answer is male and female brains are different. Are different. Different in size. Size and. and- Women have smaller but superior brains. Well, wait, wait a minute. No, I didn't <laughs> okay. hear that. All right. Have smaller brains, but not necessarily less intelligent at okay. all. Okay. I'll go okay. with that. All right. <laughs> hey, we just recently had St. Patrick's Day. And I have a question. Where was the first St. Patrick's Day parade? The first? Yeah. Was it way back in Ireland? I have No, I have a guess. Okay. I'll say... Uh, I'll tell you, it was Boston? 400 years ago. 400? 400. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say Boston or New York City. Oh. 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 I guess they weren't parading 400 years ago. No, they were parading 400 years ago in America, though. Where? St. Augustine. Oh, really? Yeah, believe it or not, it was in America, not Ireland. And believe it or not, it was more than 400 years ago, the feast day of St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. That's been observed by the Irish for over a thousand years. But the first official St. Patrick's Day parade took place in 1601 in what is now St. Augustine, Florida. Jeez, in I, can't America. See, I can't see the floats going down there and the marching no, bands. I guess know, it's just, a different kind of parade, but they so. had it there. And Boston and New York did follow up with their own marches, but not until the 18th century. So okay. it all started in St. Augustine in 1601, the first St. Patrick's Day parade. I wonder if there were many Irish living there. I don't know. I, I, thought, they, I thought there was Spanish primarily so did down I, there. but what do we know? No. Okay. Maybe it was a. Maybe they were making fun of the Irish. Um, Spanish were parading Irish people there. That, or something. that was a. That was an interesting place that we visited once, Saint Augustine. Yes, it was. Yes. Okay, Bob. Where is a Starbucks that is open twenty four seven and has only one customer? What? Well, one customer with lots of employees. One customer with lots of employees. Is uh-huh. it in the White House? No. One customer with lots of employee. Oh, I'll bet that is the Starbucks down in Antarctica. Oh. Remember we talked about the ATM down there? Yeah. No. Okay, where is this? It is the CIA headquarters in Langley. Oh. And I'm telling you, there are 30,000 Starbucks worldwide, but there's only one Starbucks that specifically caters to members of the Central Intelligence Agency. Hmm. It's located inside CIA headquarters in Langley, and this Starbucks is only available to those with the highest levels of security clearance. Really? While the store is decorated to look like a normal Starbucks (laughs) in order to help humanize the otherwise tense job, receipts merely depict store number one. As opposed to any specific location. You know, they usually give their name and location. Oh, that's weird. Furthermore, baristas who undergo extensive background checks are forbidden from writing names on any of the cup, not even aliases. Oh, really? So they can't say Igor or (laughs) Ivan, you know, (laughs) drink for Ivan. Yeah. Some <laughs> Russian spy names or something. That's done to preserve the confidential identities. And and don't try using your Starbucks rewards car there either because those perks are banned from there because they could fall into the wrong hands. That's right. Data would go into the wrong. Yeah. Well, if you, if you can't get in there anyway, how are you going to use your card there? Yeah, I don't know. Despite Jeez. all these irregularities compared to the normal experience, the store remains immensely popular uh, among employees and boasts long lines at all hours of the day. Isn't that, <laughs> how, that? I don't know how many employees are there. I wonder if they have any uh, fancy different drink names there or something. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Espionage I'll names have one, on their I've drinks. I've been the terrible yeah. on, uh, uh, jumbo. Missions, you know, mission drinks or something. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Marsha, what world-famous landmark has a light show that's protected by copyright? Now, I'll give you some choices Yes, here. thank you. Okay, these are major landmarks. The Sphinx, the Eiffel Tower, Disney World, the Roman Colosseum, or Big Ben. Which world-famous <sighs> landmark has a light show protected by copyright? Well, I'll say Eiffel Tower. That's right. That's what it is. Yeah, they have that evening light show. Now, that was actually created by an artist, Pierre Bideau, in 1985, and it's covered by copyright law. Under that law, sale and distribution rights for photos or videos of the show belong to the original creator of the art, and they'll only expire 70 years after he dies. But <laughs> since the building's architect, Gustav Eiffel, passed away in 1923, uh -huh. pictures of the tower itself, that's okay. It's under public domain. Perfectly fine to snap a picture during the daytime. However, this other fellow who did the light show is still alive. So technically, any photo or of the tower at night or video can only be published, shared, or sold if you have his permission. Uh. But <laughs> fortunately yes, for dear. millions of us who've been there, the law has never been enforced in court. <laughs> but it's protected by a copyright. I don't know what's that worth if you can't enforce it. Yeah, it is. Not worth the paper it's printed on, apparently. Well, Bob, you'll be happy to know the 2023 survey of the happiest and unhappiest countries is out. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, joy, oh, joy. <laughs> we talk about this every so often. Yes, who there are, are the happiest are, countries? There yeah. are 150 countries uh, in this survey. And once again, for six straight years... Let me see if I got it. Is it uh, Denmark or... That's number two. Okay, it's it's right up there, though. It's, it's yeah. uh, Denmark, Norway. Uh, what is the one that wants to get NATO now? Uh, not Sweden, but the other one. Okay, which one is Finland. it? Finland. Finland, yes. Six straight years, it tops the list. That's the They're number one. They're doing something right there. Yeah. They're the happiest country in the world. Yeah, that's followed by Denmark. But guess who comes in number three? Who? That's the one that surprised me. Take a guess. It's not It's not a Scandinavian country. Not the United States? No, no. Oh, okay. What is it? It's Israel. Really? That surprises me because there's, you know, they're always at kind of war. That's so, right. Somebody's at their throat yeah, usually. Yeah, they worry about somebody bombing them or taking them out at any given time, but they're pretty happy over there. Interesting. So, I thought so. But America? No, we're number 15. And France, 20. Oh, okay. So who's at the bottom of the list? <laughs> North Korea, Iran, Syria, Lebanon, and in the basement is Afghanistan. Jeez. Yeah, Taliban is not bringing the joy there, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I've got some more animal facts. We talked about camels. I've got some other ones here, okay? Okay. What's the major difference between monkeys from the old world and monkeys from the new world. Now, by that, I mean the old world is like Africa uh -huh. and Asia. Monkeys in the new world in the Americas. There well, are monkeys the down in Brazil and places like that, okay? Okay. South America, Central right. America? I don't know. There. Are... What's the difference between monkeys from the old world and the new world? Uh, I don't know. They're more adventurous. They're more patriotic. They, well, I don't know. This is kind of a weird thing, okay? Yeah. Only new world monkeys from Central and South America can hang by their tails. Really? 
Really? That's according to the Isaac Asimov Book of Facts. Is that like evolutionary? Or? I don't know. It says no old world monkeys from Africa or Asia can hang by their tails. Ironically, the old world monkeys have longer tails. Even so, old world monkeys share a distinct advantage over those from the Americas. They have sitting pads of tough skin, while American monkeys don't. Huh. So well. they don't have a nice hiney there that helps them out. <laughs> nice hiney, a you're nice, right. Nice thick hiney. Okay, and Bob. I'm not talking about beer. <laughs> you know, you know what the NASA logo looks like, don't you? Yes. It's what? It's like a blue ball with a red streak, and then it's got like a white orbit thing in it. Yeah. So, this is your kind of question. What do employees call the NASA logo? Oh dear. <laughs> You'll like this. Okay. Uh, what would they call that? I don't know. What is it? What do they call it? The meatball. Oh, the meatball. <laughs> yeah, we called the meatball Alan Bradley. Is we that called it, it the was meatball. it Alan Bradley or Rockwell? Alan Bradley because it was an octagon. The yeah. meatball. Yeah. Oh. So they call it that in uh, in at uh, NASA at NASA too. The meatball. Yeah. This is inside corporate stuff. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, speaking of NASA, Marcia, you had that uh, story a couple of weeks ago about Neil Armstrong leaving the boots on the moon or the galoshes. Remember I did, that? Yeah. I did a little research after that and found a really interesting article, and it's on the Royal Museum's Greenwich website. Now, this is in England, but most of the information is about American astronauts. So I've got a few other things that the astronauts left behind on the moon. On the moon, is it pretty getting cluttered up there or what? It's very cluttered. You know, we talked about Neil and Buzz. They were the first two, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. They uh, disposed of anything they didn't need from the lunar module. That included the tube the U.S. flag had been rolled up in, the TV camera they used to send footage back to Earth, and the tools they used to gather the moon rock and dust. So they created a toss zone, they called it, which lies to the west of the Apollo 11 landing site. A litter pile. That's what it was. But you ask about the total amount of stuff on the moon from the Apollo missions. Now, this includes, it sounds huge, but it includes the lunar landers, the, remember the modules they took, the ones that, the rovers that went out like Jeeps all over the moon. Yeah, yeah. So all that metal and all the other stuff, 400,000 pounds of stuff. that's... That's unfortunate. Including 96 bags of human waste. 96 bags? <laughs> Isn't that awful? Buzz was busy. They were all busy, all the astronauts. <laughs> In fact, the scientists would like to bring those back to see how they changed. Oh, yeah. You know, over the years yeah. being exposed to lunar radiation well, and everything. Good. I'd hit that assignment. Okay, time to go to break. <laughs> but, but wait a minute. There's a couple more things that I'll, we'll get out of that. I'm so glad I, you went and looked up. I enticed you to look into you did. this, Laura. Uh, astronaut Charles Duke, Apollo 16, he left a frame family photo on the moon surface, took a picture of it before they left, uh-huh. and it's him and his kids and his wife. He was the youngest person to walk on the moon. It says, this is the family of astronaut Charles Duke from the planet Earth who landed on the moon on April 20th, 1972. That's how old was he? He was 36, the youngest person to walk on the moon. Huh. Okay, more on these things left on the moon in just a moment, and we'll be back with more trivia from Marsha here on the Off Ramp <laughs> with Bob and Marsha Smith. <laughs> We're back with more on the Off Ramp. We do this for the Cedarburg Public Library every week. It goes out Monday nights on their internet radio station, and then all over the world through podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and all kinds of other places. Okay, Marsha, what's your next question? <laughs> How did the rabbit and eggs become symbols of Easter? 
Oh, that's interesting. Why did the rabbit and eggs? Well, fertility for both, I think, because the eggs meaning life, you know, but rabbits meaning the fertility of at rabbits. They're uh-huh. obviously notorious for reproducing. <laughs> so I would think that's the reason. Ah, no, not according to the big book of answers. Oh, <laughs> let's open that one. <laughs> the word Easter goes to the ancient Norse word ostra, which is what the Vikings called the festival of spring. The legend of a rabbit bringing Easter eggs is from German folklore. Oh, okay. Which tells of a poor woman who, during a famine, dyed some eggs and hid them in her chicken's nest to surprise the kids. (laughs) Just as the children discovered the nest, a big rabbit leaped away. And the story spread that it had brought the eggs. Oh, no kidding. So that's where it came from. At least according to this source, that's how it was a folktale. And then we went to Peter Rabbit and all those other and then stories came out of that. the whole world evolved from that story. A whole new world. <laughs> okay, speaking of that, let's go back to the moon with more questions and answers. Okay, Marcia, we talked about, you know, remember the first flags they put up on the moon? They How were they different from regular flags? Was the material different? Material was different because? Because they would rip to shreds up there right away, no? No, because there's no wind on the moon. There's no wind. They wouldn't rip to shreds. So they would just hang. Hang down. They wanted something, oh, to be stiff and stick out. So they put wires and material to make it stiff out. Yeah, so that's... That makes sense. Those flags did not actually fly. It's interesting that Eugene Cernan, the Apollo 17 flag planted by him, had already been to the moon. It was carried to the lunar surface and back on Apollo 11. They carried an Apollo 17 flag looking ahead to the last flight. Uh huh. And then they brought it back, and then it hung on the wall of mission control. And then uh, they took that flag again and took it back to the moon one more time. That's interesting, I wow. think. Ashes have also been taken to the moon. Did you know that? I did not. Okay. They took the ashes of a gentleman named Gene Shoemaker. He was a U.S. geologist who studied terrestrial craters and discovered many comets and planets. And when he died, his ashes were transported to the moon in a capsule on board the Lunar Prospector Space Probe. He's the only person to have his ashes flown to the moon. There have been other ashes that have been sent in outer space. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. You got to pay for that? Uh, there is a service, yes. I think you have to pay for that a now. service charge? A little service Nothing. charge. Okay, about $25,000. <laughs> Nothing is free. A burial is cheaper on Earth than it is in <laughs> outer space. <laughs> I like. I can hear you doing the commercial. Okay, Bob. <laughs> this is up your, uh, up your alley. <laughs> oh, my alley. Okay. <laughs> what American city was named after Marie Antoinette? Marietta, Ohio. Oh, I was wondering if you would do that. That's it. I knew that. We've been there. I just didn't know if you remember that little factoid from the museum. And, of course, this was before the French Revolution, and Marie Antoinette was the wife of the leader of France who was giving millions of dollars to the Americans to help with their revolution against Great Britain. So I knew you'd have more information on this than I That's right. That's so they right. named the town Marietta. Yeah. It's in southeastern Ohio, and it's the county seat of Washington County and has a population of 13,385. It's the first colony outside the 13 in the United States. The Is that first right? official. Yeah. Okay. And some of my ancestors helped found that. Well, as I recall, I did hear that 10, 20, 30 times. Yes. Okay, more <laughs> stories on monkeys. Oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, I got another animal fact here, okay? Okay. How much oil can be extracted from the blubber of a male elephant seal? Oh, gosh, I was wondering about that now, this here's, morning. Now, here's a little hint. Its skin is only seven inches thick, so uh-huh. how much? We're talking pounds? We're talking gallons. 
gallons. A male elephant seal. That's a seal, not a not a whale. Yeah. How much oil can be extracted from the blubber of a male elephant seal? Okay. I'll say 25 gallons. It's amazing, but it's 210 no. gallons of oil. No. Yeah. Its skin is only seven inches thick, but it can give as much as 210 gallons of oil, and that's considered superior to oil from the sperm whale. Wow. The elephant seal oil is often used for lubricating machinery. Really? Well, that's phenomenal. Okay, Bob, where is the oldest subway system in the world? It is in London, England. Bingo, you're on a roll today. That was Doug. Before they had the railways underground, they had wagons being pulled by horses yeah. underground. That's right. In the 1850s or 60s. Yeah, what's known as the tube opened in 1863 and still carries around 5 million passengers each day. That's amazing. But the system, as you said, was originally intended as a way to move goods and livestock as much as it was to transport humans. In January 1863... So this is in 1863? Three, yeah. Wow. And there were six original stations, and then they kept digging lower, and then after the turn of the century, when the reliability of electric trains and elevators adequately reassured investors to fund the projects, they started opening more stations and more tunnels. How smart was that to take livestock, horses, and yeah. how what bad did that smell down there? Not too good. <laughs> the original 1863 stations and tunnels are still in use today and a small but busy part of the 272 station system. 272 stations. Yes. Okay, you want to guess where number two is? I think it's in New York, isn't it? No. Okay, wait a minute. Let me guess. It could be, I think it's either in Russia or it's in South America. Which one is it? Istanbul. Just like I thought. That's right. <laughs> Istanbul got, has the second oldest subway system? Yeah, in 1875. And number, th and number three is our southern suburb of Chicago. Oh. They finished theirs in 1892. I didn't know that. And parts of it, though, still run on elevated tracks, right? Which I always think adds a certain charm to downtown Chi-Town. That's the L. Yeah. All right. Marcia, I have more on what's left on the moon. Did you know there's an art gallery on the moon? I did not know that, no. <laughs> a tiny little art gallery. It's called the Moon Museum. Really? It's a small ceramic wafer measuring three quarters of an inch by half an inch. And it was created by a gentleman named Forrest Myers. And the chip features tiny artworks from six artists, including Andy Warhol, David Norvos, and Clace Oldenburg. Huh. Apparently, he gave it to an Apollo 12 engineer who attached it to a leg of the lunar module. And that's how it got there, because NASA didn't agree to transport Really? The... So they just snuck that in there, huh? Yeah. Of course, on one of the legs of the original lunar lander is that uh, famous plaque, which says, we came in peace for all mankind. You know that one? That's uh -huh. an interesting uh -huh. one. That's on the moon. Okay. Where is the world's highest outdoor elevator? Is yeah. that the Eiffel no. Tower? No. No? Mm-mm. Highest outdoor elevator. Is this in one of those new buildings in China or in the Middle East? It's in China. In China. Okay, it's tell a, me. It's the Beilong Elevator, and it was made so everyone could enjoy the spectacular scenery of China's Zhangjiajou National Forest Park. 
Ooh, that sounds interesting. It does. It's a crazy hike to get to the top to see the gorges and the impressive waterfalls and stuff. So they built this thing. You should see. Oh, I'd love to see that. Take a Google of it later. Oh, I'll bet that's interesting. Uh, a ride in one of these double-story glass and steel cars is not for the faint-hearted as it ascends 1,082 feet in about 90 seconds. Whoa! Thousands of visitors each day take this elevator, also nicknamed the 100 Dragon Elevator. Hmm. To witness the region's natural wonders. That sounds great. I'd love to see that. Okay. Okay, Marcia. In the late 16th century, Galileo is said to have dropped two objects of different masses from the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh-huh. That was designed to prove that the speed with which they fell was independent of their mass. Well, on Apollo 15, astronaut David Scott did the same thing. He dropped a feather and a hammer at the same time, and the world watched, and they fell at the same speed, landing on the lunar surface. Simultaneously. I don't remember that. So there's a hammer up there, and there is a, <laughs> a feather. There's a feather from Baggin, the Air Force Academy's mascot falcon. That's a that's a cool experiment. Also on the moon is an aluminum sculpture the Apollo 15 astronauts left called Fallen Astronaut. It had all the names of all these people, not just Americans, but Russians too, that lost their lives on their way to trying to get to the moon. So that's kind of interesting. It those is. are those things are still on the moon too. Also, golf balls. Alan Shepard, the first American in space. Huh. He was also the first American to hit a golf ball on uh, the moon. Yeah, that is that's a cool distinction. Yeah. Okay. The famous post impressionist painter Vincent Van Gogh Bob cut off his own ear after having a fight with whom? Having a fight with whom? Uh-huh. I thought he just did that in anger uh, and depression. He cut off his ear. Yeah, I thought so, too. Wasn't, he didn't have a fight with his brother, did he? No. Who did he have a fight with? His roommate and rival famous French artist, Paul Gauguin. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. And so that's before he went to the insane asylum. Yeah, he went shortly after that. <laughs> <laughs> I will cut off my ear. Yes. Why, why would that be something you would do in spite of your friend? Well, who he was... was really ticked off, and he was mentally ill. They actually shared a house together. He I didn't know that. Yeah, and they fought over their work and who was better, blah, blah, all the time. Gauguin's first-hand account says Van Gogh approached him with a razor before pausing and retreating back to their home. This freaked out Gauguin, who decided to check himself into a hotel and call it a night rather than go back to their house. (laughs) (laughs) That man is crazy. Yes, I'm going back there. Guy had a razor. It was at some point soon after that altercation that Van Gogh took the razor to himself and cut off his ear. Oh, dear. Wow, that's pretty pretty dark. But he went to the asylum and painted 150 paintings while there, including the masterpiece known as The Starry Night. Oh, that's the beautiful one. Yeah, Yeah, right. Okay, you got another one before I give my quotes? I have a question for you on sleep, all right? All righty. Because I know, hello, hello. (laughs) Most human beings get by with uh, from six to eight hours of sleep a day. How much sleep do elephants demand, gorillas, and cats? Any idea? I know lions sleep like 20 hours a day. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's why they're so energetic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, the largest animals need less sleep, oddly enough. Hmm. The elephant gets by on only about two hours of sleep a night. You're kidding. Well, gorillas and cats seem to need as much as 14 hours of shut-eye. Really? Yeah, but an elephant only needs two. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. Me neither. Okay. (laughs) And here's a quote from Reese Witherspoon, actress. Okay. If you are not yelling at your kids, 
you are not spending enough time with them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one final one from Irma Bombeck. Remember her? Uh-huh. When my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen. When they're finished, I climb out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's the uh, joys of parenting. <laughs> and at certain times of life, that's the way it feels, too. You're yeah. in the playpen yourself. Yeah. Hope you've enjoyed our show today. We would like to invite you to submit any questions you might have to us by going to our website, theofframp.show, and scrolling down to Contact Us. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.